Yes. Chapter 2. We are burning through this huge letter in the New Testament. Colossians chapter 2. As you are turning there, um, if you want to go ahead and go to those next couple of slides, I want to highlight something from last week. We were at an important, important juncture in the life of our church family. We're laying out this book, this letter that Paul wrote as a vision document for the church, really the church at any age and any stage, but we really want to wrestle with what we find here in this passage. So I just want to remind from last week a couple of things. First, as we talk about vision, what we mean is we are describing what we want to accomplish in the long run, in the long run. So to have vision as a church family is that we have something we want to do in the long run, something we want to keep doing for the long haul. And so just to help give us some sense of, of what this, this letter is, is saying, what the Bible is sort of, uh, sort of centralizing our thoughts around is that we want somewhere in the middle of this vision and personal work of Jesus Christ to hold a central main thing, kind of main thing place. And so if you want to hit the next slide real quick. So we want Trinity, this Trinity family, to be a place where treasuring Christ through all of life is our long-run vision, where more people come to treasure Jesus, trust Him, and treasure Him, and that all of us are growing at seeing His worth and His importance and significance in our lives daily and as a church, and through all of life. It's ups, it's downs, and however many days, all of life. So just a quick recap, that's kind of where we're at. And Paul just explained how he is striving and toiling and struggling and working so as to present people mature in Christ, people who have grown up in Christ, people who are treasuring Christ in the midst of all of life. And so he further explains that in our passage for our consideration this morning. I'm going to read Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Colossians 2, 1 through 5. So here... The word of the Lord. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance, of understanding, and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge." I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. God, would you be with us as we come to your word? We thank you for the morning that we have had in worship and in prayer and praise and celebrating life, committing it to you. And as we Turn our hearts to your word. Continue that good work of grace that you have been doing, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. So we have a vision, a vision that is centered to Jesus, a, a vision for the long haul, a vision where we are, as a church family, treasuring Jesus in all of life and through all of life. But there are some obstacles, there are challenges to anything that you want to do for the long haul. The world around us, the world around the church, will seek to disrupt our vision, disrupt our view of the long haul. That disruption can come aggressively or comfortably. 
We can be dissuaded or discouraged or distracted. But the world around is offering us a a myriad of options to pursue other than treasuring Jesus. But there's also challenges within. And in fact, Paul's letter to the Colossians is, is much more mindful of the challenges within. Now, there are other parts of Scripture that talk about the challenges around, for sure. But Paul's emphasis in writing this letter is because he sees the challenges within seek to divert vision. If the world around wants to disrupt our vision, the challenges that come from within want to divert our attention away from Christ. It's a Jesus plus anything or something else kind of diversion. It is taking off the main thing category from Christ and putting it on something else, anything else. And that's what Paul is writing to encourage and build up this church and gives them this picture of a vision for ministry and of life. And he walks through it in the remainder of the letter of how this takes shape in the way that we actually live. Because there are so many disruptions and diversions to vision. We get spiritual cataracts to where God would lead us and would have for us. Christ becomes fuzzy, cloudy. Can't quite make him out because we've either been disrupted or diverted away from seeing him as the main thing. And so here we have this rich, incredible, overwhelmingly awesome letter written to us, written to the church, so as to keep Christ in, in the central view. And so my hope is, you can go to the next one, my hope is that we would be a church that treasures Christ through all of life, and that to be that kind of church, we would be one that strives, strives, strives for it. That we don't pull out the spiritual ottoman and put our feet up. Now, later this afternoon, a number of us are going to have an ottoman out of some sort, and our feet are going to be up, and we're going to sort of have that low-grade snore, right? Some of us that are older and dudes, dudes have a tendency to do that. But with a church, we don't have that luxury, this side of glory. There is no ottoman to put up. We don't put our feet up. Oh, we did our pastor search. We have a pastor. Now we can relax and chill out. There's no sense of, of that in Paul's letter to the Colossians. In fact, quite the opposite. We strive because of who Christ is and what that makes us and what Christ wants to accomplish in us. We strive. So, to be a church that treasures Christ through all of life is to be a church that strives. And there are a number of things that we have for us from this passage. A church striving to treasure Christ is first a church that is encouraged in heart. A church that is encouraged in heart. Secondly, we will find that a church striving to treasure Christ is Christ-centered in character. We're encouraged in heart, we're built up, we're comforted, we're strengthened, but also then the character and the content of us is all the more Christ-centered. And then thirdly, a church striving to treasure Christ is firm in faith. 
These things we strive after because Christ is worth it. Because Christ is worth it. We strive because Christ is worth it. We don't strive because we gain some sort of religious badge. We strive because Christ is worth it. And if we ever forget that Christ is worth it, just cast your eye back into chapter 1 and read verses 15 through 20. Christ is worth this. He is worth all the striving. He is worth all the labors. He's worth all the tears, all the sweat, all the blood, because He has rescued us from our sin. And He has rescued us to a life with Him forever. Church, never forget that Christ is worth this. So as we talk about striving, it's not so much about our strength that we're to be focused in, but really the goal that we're striving to, and the goal we're striving to is Jesus, and He will always be worth it. So hopefully we will, this morning, first point, be encouraged in heart. Encouraged in heart. Paul says this, I want you to know the great struggle I have for you, those in Laodicea's neighboring area, and for all those who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, be knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, that we would be encouraged in heart. And that hits two things Paul's doing here, two things, core and culture. He wants us to be encouraged in heart and core and culture. First of all, core. What do I mean by that? Core represents the center of your relationship with God. It represents the center part of who you are as a human being made in the image of God. That you are made to have a relationship with Him. That you were made for worship. That you are at the very core of who you are that God has rescued. Is that you are to know Him and be known by Him. It's amazing. The God who spoke into existence the cosmos knows you by name and says, know me by name. The core of who you are. One theologian, uh, Greg Beale, said it this way, it is our inner spiritual center of one's relationship with God. The heart links together our heads, our hearts, and our wills. It links together When the Bible uses the word heart like this, it links together the things that we know, the things that we feel, and the things that we do at the very core of who we are. God wants you to be encouraged. Encouraged. Encouraged to know Him truly and deeply and really and to be known by Him. Be encouraged. And at our core, what Paul has been saying here in this portion of his letter is that he hopes and strives and toils and struggles and labors in ministry so that people would grow up in Christ-likeness in their core. That in their core, they are striving to treasure Christ more. In their core, they're striving to reflect Christ more, to be mature in Christ in their core. And so he wants us to be encouraged. Encouraged is an interesting word. It has sort of two dynamics at play simultaneously. One aspect of to be encouraged is to be comforted. 
to be comforted. So encouragement can mean comforting when things hurt or when things are hard. You and I, we can certainly be discouraged by what seems like a lack of growth in our lives. We can certainly be discouraged by the harshness of life in this world. Or maybe the actions of people we know and love. And so there are times in which we are in great need of comforting, of that sort of dynamic of encouragement, because it just doesn't seem like we are growing. Picture this, like it may be some of you younger ones who are here, maybe you will know exactly what I'm saying. Imagine a kid who wants to be taller and measures all the time and is just so frustrated that it's not happening. I'm still the same height, and they look obsessively every day, and they don't see or notice really the fact that they are growing, even if, it is, if it's not perceptible, there's still growth happening. How many of us get like that when we think of our lives and we feel so frustrated and discouraged, we don't really seem to be growing at knowing Jesus. It seems to be a disruption or a diversion to seeing Christ worthy of it all. So that's one aspect of encouragement. Paul wants our core to be comforted to know that, yes, grow, growing is slow, and that's okay. Also, though, there's another aspect of encouragement. You see it sort of in the Word, and that's courage, to have courage. That means strength. Courage can mean built up to be strong. So to be encouraged isn't just simply comforted when things are hurting or hard, but it is to be built up to be strong. It's more of the idea of a fortifying, to keep on keeping on. So Paul wants our core to be strengthened and built up to keep on striving after, treasuring Christ and growing in Christ and knowing Christ. And Paul sees ministry, the function of the church gathered together, caring for one another, as a place where people can be helped in maturing in Christ. Where this should be a place when we are gathered together, that we're following along and that we are encouraging each other in our core, in our hearts, to trust Jesus and to treasure Him. And that it then spills over into the relationships that we have with each other. So this, the desire that Paul has for our core to grow up and mature in Christ is also the same desire that he has for our culture as a church. The nature of relationship that we have with each other. So if our core is about our relationship with God, our culture will tell us about our relationship with each other. And the kind of culture where a church is striving to treasure Jesus Christ is the one in which we are being knit together. Brought together and bound tight. I don't know anything about knitting. And I really didn't have the heart to go learn about it this week. So some of y'all can, can like add a lot more to the knitting. But if I'm guessing correctly, you've got different strands and they have to get bound up and wound up and knit together and then they turn into something. True? Very basic, but true, right? Our lives in the church, a bunch of individual lives, we all have 
However many people are in this room, that's that many different stories, dynamics, backgrounds, experiences, joys, hurts, sorrows, fears, hopes, worries, etc., and on and on we could go. But rescued, redeemed, forgiven, a bunch of orphans brought in to the family of God, now brothers and sisters, Christ as our king and our brother. You feel that? This eclectic group of people in Nashua, New Hampshire. This is being bound, brought together and bound tight. And did you catch the the nature of the verb? Something being done to us. It's an action being done by another to us. God is bringing together redeemed people, bounding them tight, loose strands, unified as a whole, bound close for community and care and fellowship and unity and work and witness around the person and work of Christ. It's a it's a mosaic, it's a quilt. It's a beautiful work of art done by a master artist. That is what God is doing through the church. And the church gets a bad rep because, yeah, we are people, and we're broken, and we're flawed. And there are days in which we really are hypocritical. We say one thing and we do another. And those on the outside look at that and say, hogwash, this is, this is garbage. And yet this is a work of God to bring our lives together into this place so as to knit us together around treasuring Christ, growing up in Him, and reflecting Him more in our lives. And not only that, but that He would knit us together, but also that we would have assurance, a sense of peace that comes from knowing the truth, that God would do a good, gracious work in us so that we would have assured hearts together because we know the truth. You see, the Colossians were facing disruption from the culture around them, but they were really facing pressures from within to divert their attention away from the centrality of Christ. They were being offered secret, mysterious ways to greater divine blessing. And Paul is saying you have it all when you have Christ. A good place to check our hearts would be to ask ourselves, am I more about the benefit of Christ rather than the person of Christ? Do I care more about what I gain from Christ than I do from knowing Christ? And when you're more about the benefit of Christ rather than the person of Christ, you are sliding down the slippery slope of displacing him from the main thing. Fortunately for us, God in his infinite wisdom and kindness has revealed through Jesus who he is and what he does. And he says, this is the way. There are no side doors into this thing. It's through Christ and Christ alone. So what we find in our culture is to be a place where we are being knit together around the person of Christ, caring for one another so that we go about treasuring Christ. 
experiencing the assurance of peace that comes from knowing the truth about Christ to then lead us to the third thing where we are caring for one another. Caring for one another. Being knit together in love. The goal of maturing in Christ isn't just individualistic for you alone, but it is also corporate for us as a church. That we together build meaningful relationships an intentional community into the very DNA of our culture together. That this is our living out a treasuring Christ through all of life kind of vision is that we're building into our DNA that we are going to build meaningful relationships and we're going to have intentional community to encourage one another that Jesus is really indeed worth it all. So let's get to know him more. And let's encourage and build each other up just as God is doing that in our lives. And it requires something of us. It requires us to put a little skin in the game. And the skin in the game that we give is availability and our affection. We give our availability and our affection. It costs us to be a part of this. It costs us time. It costs us inconvenience. It costs us the ability to sit down with others around a table or a couch or in a room like this and care about knowing Jesus more together. And if we make time for everything the world wants to divert our attention with, but no time to actually do what God has called us to do as a church, then we can't complain when we don't grow. And we certainly can't blame others if we never make ourselves available. That's hard, that's a heavy word, I get it. But it costs something. And that cost also comes with affection. That we would care for each other. That we would care deeply. That when we look across this room, or in our ABF, or in our life group, or in a group that we meet with regularly, that we see them as people who are trusting Jesus and treasuring them, then we want them to do that more. We care deeply for them for that. Or maybe it's a new face that's in here, and you don't know that new face. You don't know their story. You don't know where they are coming from or why they're here. But you go out of your way to give yourself the, them your availability so as to build something meaningful. Many of you have been here for a long time, so you don't remember what it's like to be new. That's a good thing that you've been here a long time. That's not a complaint. But do we go out of our way to make new faces feel like they're here, they're welcomed, come, and let's treasure Jesus together? Now, I do want to give a warning. I'm spending a whole lot of time on that first point. I'm so sorry. I do want to give a warning. Not everyone is going to be best friends with everyone. In fact, I want to say this very carefully. Best friends, quote, best friends is not the goal. Jesus is the goal. And people who care about you treasuring Jesus is the goal. And you being people to others to care about, Jesus, care about treasuring Jesus is the goal. And you will find that you will build meaningful and invaluable relationships 
when that is the goal. But if best friends are the goal, you will be disappointed. This is the sort of culture, the overflow of striving after a treasure in Christ, encouraged in heart, kind of church can be. Now let's move on. Christ-centered in character. Christ-centered in character. Know what he says, that to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, that you grow at knowing what God is doing in the Bible, what God is doing in history. You grow at understanding this. It may feel mysterious to you, but guess what? He has made it clear through Christ, which is Christ. The mystery of God's purpose is Christ. So to know Christ is to have the mystery solved. In whom, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So we are Christ-centered in character, both in doctrine and devotion. In doctrine and devotion, we are Christ-centered in character, our content, and who we are. First in doctrine. Doctrine is the content of the faith. Doctrine just simply means a set of beliefs held by a church. They provide stability, direction, foundation. And a solid foundation to build upon practices that help us actually go about treasuring Christ and maturing in Him. So, if Christ is our aim, He's the goal, and He is also there at our foundation, then we find that it is to be Christ-centered from foundation to finished product. To be Christ-centered. And when there is a lack of integrity in the foundation or structure of doctrine, then there is spiritual and moral collapse. And so Paul here is concerned very much about the false teaching um, that would come into this church and cause a collapse, weaken the integrity of the foundation. Serious concern because of the serious need to believe rightly about who God is and what God does and why God does it. As you notice in verse 4, there are those who showed up and they wanted to delude the Colossians with plausible arguments. You might think, what does it mean to delude? They wanted to go up, they showed up to deceive with false reasoning. They showed up at the church to deceive the church off of Christ ever so slightly or in big steps with false reasoning. To be tricked into something you really don't want. <laughs> I do not want to offend anyone who works and a mall kiosk. But that was the first thing that came to mind when I thought about delude. <laughs> you walk through the mall, and those kiosks in the middle, and somebody's throwing something at you that smells weird, or feels weird, you're like, leave me alone. I'm, ne I'm, I'm pretty extroverted, but I am definitely introverted around mall kiosks. I just feel like this is just a trick. This is just a trick. Tricking me into something I don't want or need. So I don't make eye contact. And I pretend I'm on my phone. And I run. <laughs> we need to be a church that strives to know the God of this word and the word of this God. So we're not deluded, caught off, tricked, with things that are sounding like truth, but not really truth. 
We are to strive to know the God of the Word and the Word of this God. And we do that through faith in Christ, knowing that Christ is the climax of the Word. He is the revealer of God's mystery and purposes. So in order for us to go about with a strong foundation in our doctrine, then we need to know Jesus. We need to know Him. And we know Him through the Word. And we grow at knowing Him. Think about learning how to swim. It's an intimidating adventure as a kid or as an adult, if you're learning to swim as an adult. Because there's a deep end of the pool, right? And you're kind of okay early on because you can see the bottom and you could hit it with your feet and push up and you get back up to where the air is. But then there's the deep end. And it's a little intimidating, right? Now, if you learned how to swim with one of your parents, they probably threw you in the deep end, right? Just chucked you in. Yep. You'll learn to swim if you want to survive, right? There's a sense of this, that there is a deep end of this. And it can be intimidating to know it. And so I want to encourage you that, yeah, at first glance, it might feel intimidating to try to understand what this is saying. I want to encourage you with this. It's building up, revealing, or flowing from the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's promises, it's pictures, it's it's, it's um, prom- uh, prophecy and its purposes that we see in the Old Testament are all inching forward to when they would be fulfilled and revealed in the personal work of Christ. He's the center of it. And we get to see him here in God's word. And then it is flowing from him. It is the, the word of God proclaiming the gospel of God into the world that the church is birthed and grows and expands. You have the grid the key to understand this found in the personal work of Christ. And so I want to encourage you, yes, let's dump, jump into the deep end, but let's do so knowing that Christ is at the center of what God's purposes are and revealed in God's pages of his scripture. And we need that because we don't want to be deluded, but we also need it in our devotion and the character of the faith. So it's not just head knowledge we're after. So last week I said this, that our maturing process is this, that what we know is to shape who we are and then transform how we live, that it impacts our head, our heart, and our life. What we know is to shape who we are and to transform how we live. It's not just merely head knowledge. It's not just so you can win arguments with friends or you can be the smartest guy or lady in the room. We have enough of that. It's called the internet. We don't need any more. We just need to know the truth and the peace that comes from knowing Jesus and then to live with devotion to Him, that that would then shape the way that our hearts feel and our lives live. That we want to no longer live for ourselves, but rather for Jesus, because we are growing at knowing His goodness and His greatness and His glory and His grace. And the Colossians, they were getting deluded with deceptive doctrine, as you look later in chapter 2, they were being told to like, like embrace aestheticism, that is to like hurt themselves because then that seems more spiritually good, and to embrace worship of angels. They were getting deluded with all these like other things. 
And, and, and chapter 2 ends with these words, they, these other things are of no value to you. They have no value to you. They will not shape your life and inform your heart. They will just oppress you down and crush you. We need to see that the devotion that we have is Christ-centered, that the character of our faith is shaped and contoured to the shape and contours of Christ. But it's also a community project. That this is happening in the context of the community of the church, and that the church is to be a people committed to Jesus and to each other so that more treasuring Christ can happen. I want to ask you this question. Maybe you'll talk about it with your spouse or friends, or, or maybe you could talk about it over a meal with your family. What would it look like, and what would it feel like? And this isn't to say this isn't happening. I just want you to think of this in an even more so kind of way. What would it look like and feel like if Trinity was an interconnected web of people sharing life together in such a way that Jesus was treasured by young and old, new and seasoned, lost but now saved? What would it look like and feel like if that was genuinely happening deeper and wider in the life of our church and our devotion? Let that Questions sort of sit. Ask yourself, what am I, I want to be a part of that. We slip in our doctrine and our devotion. It will wreck our community and care with one another. So this is something we must strive for. Strive. And then lastly, we will need to strive firm in faith. He says at the end, though I'm not with you in body, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and firmness of faith. Firm in faith has two components to it, strength and joy. To be firm in faith is to be strong and joyful. Strength to persevere. If the aim is to treasure Christ and the context is through all of life, then we need to have some strength to persevere. All of life, all in the sense of all the sorts of joys and struggles, ups and downs, in ex- all the things we experience in this life, the kind of days. We want to be a people who treasure Christ through all the kind of days that we have. But we also want to be a people who treasure Christ in all the number of days that we have, the entirety of life. So it's both the quality and the quantity of life that we want to be treasuring Christ through. All of it, together, in all the days, no matter how many they are. We need to be strong and firm in the faith fuels firm in faith. Let me say that again. To be firm in the faith fuels firm in faith. The faith, where the article is there, is shorthand for the doctrine of the Christian faith. And then just your faith refers to the ongoing life of following Christ. So that what we know, sort of the objective truth of what we know, is then to inform the subjective experience of what we feel and experience in this life. So the truth is to shape the way that we live. 
And in that, it is to strengthen us so that we would persevere. You and I, we don't build up our bodies with junk food. We build up our bodies with a healthy, balanced diet, good rest, and exercise. Similarly with faith, there are things that we build up our faith with. We build up our faith being together, singing, praying, hearing the word, celebrating the Lord's table, rejoicing in baptism, dedicating babies, rallying around families. We need these things. We need to build up our life with these things. We need to set aside time each day to know Christ through his word and through prayer. And we need to talk about it. We need to talk about it together. We need these things to build up our bodies to be strong for the long run. And in that long run, we will experience joy. Don't miss the joy in this passage. It's there. Paul's heart is full of affection for the Colossian church, and he wants them to be encouraged in their hearts and to be knit together in love. And he rejoices to hear about their firmness and faith and their good order and structure in their lives around the person and work of Christ. But it's filled with joy. So I want, I want you to hear this as we close. Striving isn't joyless. It's not joyless. It's not meant to be joyless. In fact, striving can bring a more meaningful joy than if life were filled with bubbles and grins. Striving can bring more meaningful joy I think you probably can find something in your life experience that you can relate this to. Maybe it was some team that you were a part of growing up. Or maybe some grueling season of college or graduate school. Or maybe some intensive, important, necessary project at work. Or maybe it's just parenting or marriage where you've been a part of something that demanded you to strive And striving by God's grace, you did. And through it all, and on the other side, you were filled with a deep, meaningful, lasting joy. On the other side of all of this talk of striving, I want to say to you, church, is Jesus. On the other side of all of this striving is Jesus. In the midst of all of this striving is Jesus powerfully at work within us. Striving isn't joyless. Striving to know Christ gives way to the greatest of joys, Christ. Christ is worth treasuring. Knowing him has no price tag. It is immeasurable. Striving after him fuels forever joy. And yeah, we will have all kinds of disruptions and diversions. Let us be a people together that strive to treasure Christ. To his glory and our good, we pray. Amen.
stand as we close with, come thou fount of every blessing. Really listen to these words. Some of them showed up in that scripture that I was reading with you earlier. and The themes that Sean's just been talking about. It's all here. Let's do that again. Yeah, yeah let's do that again. That is all right. <laughs> We're good. Redo. verse like 17 more times and that's what we're going to do no um, <laughs> um it's a joy to be able to spend this time together week in and week out and i know those kinds of things can feel routine but really instead of the word routine this this is a necessary rhythm we need in our lives and god in his kindness has called us to gather and to be together if you were with us and you're new and and, and we're so happy that you're here. It would be wonderful if you would just fill out a, a connection card in the seat pocket in front of you, that you would let us know about who you are and how we could help connect you, that we could go about treasuring Christ together. If you don't know Christ and want to, to learn more about who he is and, and what he has done, we'd love to share more with you about that. So take some time, drop it in the offering box on the way out. We'd love to follow up with you.
Also, I want to share with you, next Sunday on the 26th, 6.30 to 8 p.m. in this room is our next church-wide prayer night. We're going to be spending time together praying and, in, and lifting up the body of Christ, and uh, we're going to pray for the church that is in hard places. We're going to care about our brothers and sisters in different parts of the world, and we're also going to care about our youth and our students who are going off to deep freeze. So please come and be with us that night, and we're going to pray um, for, our, for our church, wherever that church may be and whatever that church may be experiencing. And then lastly, speaking of deep freeze, uh, last night or yesterday, uh, a very important email went out to the families, the kids that are going on, uh, students that are going on to deep freeze. So family, parents, be sure to read that thoroughly. There's a lot of information that's very important that you need to know, especially something about a polar plunge that you have to like sign 42 waivers on. And you might want to make sure that your kid does or doesn't do that with your approval. So um, follow up on that. 